We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. TickPick should be your first choice to buy basketball tickets because they save fans money by never charging any service fees, ever. TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner for the Laker Film Room Podcast and Blue Wire Network. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And today we're going to preview the Western Conference. Yesterday we did a right now preview of the Lakers. We're going to take a look into the the bigger picture in the West. And to do that, Mike, uh, set us up here. What are we looking at? All right, so guys, we have a little bit of a tier system, okay, that uh, I put together, and I would love to be persuaded to drop or raise uh, a couple of these teams. And this is just an initial list. Now, the one thing that I want to stipulate before we start, and, and this is I need you guys to weigh in, do we want to look at this as order we think they're going to finish in the regular season or just who's going to be the best teams by the end of the season? Ooh, that's good. I'm going to go with best teams by the end of the season because I think everyone's kind of, you know, a, a team like Minnesota is playing for something different than the Lakers are. OK, good. So so with that said, then and that's how I did it. So this isn't necessarily going to be who is going to finish first in the West, which is basically, you know, a team like Utah has an edge. This is I'm going to penalize Utah um, for what I think might happen um, eventually in, with the way that that works. You know I'm what shocked. I mean? I know. I, I, I can't believe it. I mean, I was right. So. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's let's never start. change, Mike. Never change. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to say. Let's start at the bottom, and I don't think we need to spend a lot of time here, guys. So we can all agree, Thunder Rockets would be the bottom. Yeah. Yes. yes. Okay. So the only thing is that with Zion's uncertainty, I actually put the Pelicans um, Ooh, in this mix. Spicy. Now. I the Pelicans, I, I could have made an argument like before the season started, if we had healthy Zion, right, like some new blood in there, new coach, etc. But I'm going the other way now. It also didn't help that they lost by 76 points or whatever it was uh, in the preseason. But it's just a it seems like a, a, a really lost group right now. And with all of this hesitancy about when Zion's even going to be able to come back, the fact that he's out of shape, like, so I have, I have the moved the Pelicans actually out of the playing territory into that lowest tier thoughts. I think that 
it's probably a bit pessimistic about them, but it's also realistic, which is, I know that you're a realist, Mike. And, and so I'm going to give you props within the context of, of, I know your view on, on stuff, stuff like this, New Orleans, I think they, I think they're a worse team than they were last year. I know that they got out of the Steven Adams contract and the Eric Bledsoe contract. Those were positives for them, I guess. Um, I like Valanchunas as a player, but I like Lonzo. I like this connection with Zion. I think they lost perimeter defense. And um, I'm not sure if they're younger players like Alexander Walker or Lewis. Are they ready to make a leap? Wherever they go, Mike, like I know that we think about the drivers of of success or stars, but you need role players too to sort of like play above what you anticipate of them in in order to jump into a higher tier. And I have just too many questions about New Orleans at this point. Uh, Pete, real quick, I did misspeak. It was the Hornets that got beat by 76 by the Mavs, but the Pelicans did get blown out uh, by by a bunch a couple times. Yeah, they didn't have a, a great preseason by by any means. They're they're in a crisis of leadership more than than of talent, and so I don't know if they're going to come out of this. It's more of people are going to have to rally together, and so that's going to be like what a job Willie Green has ahead of him this season as a as a rookie coach right is his first job being able to bring this all together with kind of some imperfect pieces and with zion missing and really that's what it all comes back to and why i'm more on the pessimistic side i think that i think that your evaluation of the pelicans mike is a little harsh but you wouldn't have to twist my arm too much to put them in that tier as well because it's going to take a lot to kind of pull them in the right direction because we've seen as laker fans like a basketball team has momentum to it and their momentum has been heading in the wrong direction so the the way that i first had this down pete was i had rockets and thunder on their own then i had pelicans and spurs together and spurs because i don't think they have enough talent but they've got the foundation right and they've got the coaching and they've got and to me whereas the pelicans have Darius, you mentioned some of the young guys, but, you know, add so Trey Murphy, the rookie, then Devontae Graham comes in. Um, you got Kira Lewis, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. These are uh, Najee Marshall. These are all guys that that want like in a place where Kuzma was to an extent where like they want to show what they can do some at least to some extent. And the only guy that's clearly above them in the hierarchy is Brandon Ingram. And, you know, Ingram is not the kind of guy that's going to rah, rah, like pull everybody along with him. And he's tried, by the way. I do think he's got that in his character, but I don't think he's established that yet um, to be able to get everybody to follow it. And with Zion not coming in, we, we, this is probably enough time on the Pelicans. But yeah, but yeah I, I could be persuaded to bump them up like next to a couple of teams. But I, I just I do fear for them this season. I would say they're right on that line, Mike, and and they could fall beneath to where you have them now, or they could rise above that. But I'm not convinced either way. So let's keep them where they are now. And if we're proven wrong, then Pelicans fans can jump into Lakers fans mentions. Ooh, that's not like that hasn't been happening for three seasons. So so there we are. <laughs> yeah. So next group from bottom to top, I go Spurs, Kings, Wolves. And I think that these are three teams that have a shot to be in the plan. I would put the Spurs at the bottom, though. Because, I just, again, I just don't know that the talent or the mix of players is really there. And of the young talent, I don't know if it's clear. Okay, DeJounte Murray, some people like. Some people like Keldon Johnson now. Some people like Derek White. But it, I don't know if any of us is going to predict an all-star game for one of those guys uh, in the future. And the front court is is even worse from an upside 
kind of talent moving into the future side. So whereas the Kings and Wolves, they've got some high lottery picks. Like they've got some actual talent. They've got some upside and all that. Their situations haven't been the best in terms of organization, Pete. So, uh, but I do see them as teams that you got to go in and you got to actually play against them to beat them because they've got enough talent on any given night uh, to go ahead and get after you. But I, I can't, I don't have them yet in that kind of playoff tier. I've got them. They still got to show me um, in Darius parlance once the season starts. Yeah, they're in the same tier for me as well, but for opposite reasons, right? With San Antonio, there's a talent deficit, but they're never going to fall below a certain caliber of play due to their continuity and and their system. They'll always give you at least a, a certain level of play, regardless of, of the, so long as they have NBA players. Then with the Kings and with the Wolves, it's more of the opposite direction. It's young teams that are trying to build something. I'm more bullish on the Wolves than I am on the Kings. I think that they might they've got some nice defensive wings to put around uh, D'Lo and Cat, who've barely played together. And I think that they're in, I just think they're, when we talk about momentum, their momentum, momentum is heading more in a positive direction. So I could be convinced that Minnesota is at the bottom of the next tier, but I'm by and large, I'm with you on those three teams. I wouldn't have Minnesota in this tier. You'd have them higher? I would. Carl Anthony Towns is an all NBA level player. None of these other teams even have a player that's close to that right now. De'Aaron Fox is probably the next closest guy and Towns is just better than him by a fit, by a considerable margin IMO as like a foundation of, of a team. Um, I like the direction they're going with Chris Finch and I am super, I am a super fan of Anthony Edwards, not necessarily just because of his play, but his personality, I feel like, is magnetic and can be a franchise changer in a very similar way that, like, I feel like LaMelo Balls can. So I would probably put them a little bit higher for the reasons that, Pete, you you laid it out. I think that the talent is there for them. They do have a hole at power forward, and that is concerning to a certain extent. But this is uh, where they'll be at the end of the year. And I would bet their front office probably is going to be aggressive during the season to patch up a hole like it's winning time for them. They've got a new ownership group coming in. I think that they are going to be assertive in in trying to make some some things happen. And I still got a soft spot for D'Angelo Russell. I think that dude is an offensive force. And if you surround him with enough defense, those guys are going to complement each other well, I think. Like Cat and Edwards and D'Lo, they are all like, they could all be so good offensively, but there's not a lot of skill overlap or positional overlap. And I think that that's going to allow for a certain amount of success for them where it's just like, oh, wait, Minnesota scored how many points? tonight i see some of those things coming this season for them so i would have them a a bit higher mike well so as we all know i i I shouldn't say as we all know as some of you know uh, i am from minnesota and i i almost know too much about that situation and (laughs) so that's where some of the pessimism comes in uh, based on what was going on in the front office and based on on just how some of the players have interacted with one another but looking at the roster and looking at the talent that's why they're in this conversation. But let me let me sort of use this as a bridge, though, to get to the, Darius. If you want to jump them up, the teams that you're including them with are basically the Clippers, Grizzlies, and Blazers. And then to some extent, we can talk about the Nuggets, who I've I've got on a borderline above that. But even just the Clippers and Grizzlies, uh, I like that's those are teams to me where like Cat is the 
I still think like the best, the most talented player when you bring Memphis in, but that's such a more complete team and a complete yeah. organization. And so I just think that if I had to pick, I just think the Grizzlies are better. And then the Clippers are a bunch of vets with Paul George, who is I, Paul George right now is a better all around player than Carl Anthony Towns. Carl Anthony Towns, if he really engages on defense, can certainly become a better player, but he hasn't put that on paper yet. Um, to me. So I, I just think that the Clippers, it's a mix. The Clippers have some vets, A. Um, they're, they have a good coach. They've got a good system. They're going to keep bringing in some talent around them. And the Grizzlies are have just been a better all-around organization. So I think the Wolves, if they show me, could rise. But I can't, I can't have them in that same group um, before the season starts. I think that's fair, right? There's the presumption that they will get it together. It could be a Pelicans type situation, right? Where momentum, like guys aren't able to come together and it's not a talent issue, but, but, and then defensively, right? How much is an Anthony Edwards going to be engaged to cat? I think that's a a fair pessimistic argument for them, but I'm with Darius in that they've got a lot of really complimentary talent. They're going to be able to put up a buck 30 on some nights and, you know, run the floor. Like there's a lot there. It seems things are going in the right direction, but we'll see. Got so so then would you want Darius? You would want like Grizzlies, Clippers, Wolves in the same. T- I don't know if the tier even matters, right? Because they're right there. But would you have Wolves below Grizzlies and Clippers, or are you wanted to actually yes. bump them up ahead of one of those two? No, I would have them below both of those teams. All right, then we don't. Then no argument. Then we're good. What about Portland? What about Portland, guys? So so Portland. So Portland. I had um, I had Portland and Denver, and Denver is more of a situation of just Jamal Murray. So if I'm if I'm plugging him in eventually as being healthy, then I'm back to really liking Denver. But I'm just usually when a guy's out like that, I think it it weighs on the rest of the roster. And I've I've mentioned this before. I think that Jokic has to hit some level of a wall and just drop off from like a top five player to the sixth or seventh at some point, just based on what the last two years have been. And, And this is this is applying bubble tax theory that I saw for the Lakers to the Nuggets this year. Uh, the Blazers, as your original point, they so on the one hand, you know, Nance comes in and he's the kind of player that it's a soft spot for us. Like we've seen him do the little things. Great. We know he's a great guy. We know that there are parts of his game, but he hasn't been reliable from an injury standpoint. Unfortunately, um, he's he's always like in the 50s and 60s in games played. And and so they still have the guard situation with CJ and Dame that just eventually is too small. And Norman Powell is not a big guard. Like he's not small. He's kind of in the middle, but he's not a guy that goes out there and guards LeBron. So I don't, as much as I think they're going to be a little better, I don't have them in that top echelon. I've got them above the Grizzlies and the Clippers, but I don't have them into that next tier of teams at the top. What this exercise is going to prove once again is that it's just a, it's just a bloodbath out out in this conference. Like, oh my goodness, you mentioned the the Clippers. <laughs> just now and i get that they're without Kawhi, but it's, it's almost like they're sticker shock still for me at this point to, to to probably see the clippers this low but it makes sense i think that all of your arguments are sound when you start to get into the night in night out stuff it really does come down to me like who is your best player and how impactful is he in winning Jokic and dame are probably two of the more impactful players in terms of winning on like a night to night basis, they will just win you a basketball game. I think we had this, this discussion earlier um, in a much earlier pod about Jokic, but he's actually in the show it to me in the opposite way, Mike. 
he's got to show it to me that he actually is going to drop off, that he is going to suffer from some sort of attacks before I'm going to bake it into my projections about where he's going to be as a player. He is so good and he plays at such a unique pace and tempo and he controls the action around him almost like a puppeteer when it comes to the style of the game that that he's in. And there's maybe anywhere from a half a dozen to 10 guys in the entire league who can do that on a night to night basis where it's just like, no, the game that I'm in, this is my game. And that's why the best games are often against like teams that have each have one of those guys, because it's like who wins that tug of war in terms of taking control of the action. But Jokic is one of those dudes to me. And so wherever this tier is, He's probably like the Nuggets are probably at the top of that tier. For me, he is the reigning MVP. He is seven feet tall in a game where the height of the rim does not change. Like he is that dude to me. And so like, however, this tier shakes out, I would have Denver at the top. And if Minnesota sneaked its way in, they'd be at the very bottom of this. If Minnesota is not in this tier, then the Grizzlies are probably right there for me. Yeah, I'm going to refocus to the top of the tier and I would flip the Clippers and Portland in terms of of tiers. I think that Portland, I I could see things going poorly for them. I could see things going in the wrong direction under several different, you know, circumstances. With the Clippers, I think they're a good team that plays together. They have continuity even without Kawhi. And this is not factoring in like a late season return. But if the idea is who will be the best team at the end, who is the most capable, I'd put them in a higher, I think they're more together and organized and I would put them below Denver, but because of Jokic, right? Because Jokic is a a better player than Paul George, right? In terms of if two teams are close, I'm going to go with the best guy of the two. And so that I would put, and I think you make a great argument for the pace of Jokic and kind of that he plays a unique style of play where he's probably less susceptible to breaking down, although his physical condition will always be a big factor within that. So yeah, Mike, I have to send us to break. uh, I have Denver, just over the Clippers, but in the same tier. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll finish off the Western Conference preview. Lakers basketball is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself by searching all over the internet to find Lakers tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site, and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NBA tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NBA tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices on the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in purchase price. I'm excited to see this Lakers squad get out and transition this year, and there's nothing like seeing a great fast-breaking team in person. Visit TickPick.com LFR today and use promo code LFR to save $10 on your first... We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Shorter of Lakers tickets. All right, Mike, so what's our next here? Okay, so now we've got, I'm going to actually, in part based on what you guys said, and in part just giving Jokic the benefit of the doubt, even if I, like, I think he might hit somewhat of a wall, but not to the point where he's not still a devastating player. So there are six teams, uh, yep, six teams that we haven't talked about. And again, this is including Denver. The, the three tiers below, the one we just got done talking about is Blazers, Grizzlies, Clippers. Pete, it sounds like one of the Clippers at the top of that. Um, I had it in that order. Then we had Wolves, Kings, Spurs. Darius made the argument for Minnesota, which were fair ones. And then we had Pelicans, Rockets, Thunder. And again, the tier thing doesn't even matter that much because we're not really disagreeing on where these teams rank in the hierarchy. Now, the top six, though, I think is tricky um, in a sense. So here are the six teams left, right? So Nuggets, Jazz, Mavs, Warriors, Suns, Lakers. The team that when I say it, I have a little bit of trouble where I said them is the Mavs, but I'm just, I'm that into what Luca was in the, in the Clippers series and into the sort of formula that they have with the with the way that they space out around Luka. Now Jason Kidd comes in and he did help Milwaukee in their first year. He did help Brooklyn in their first year. So I think there's something there that can spark them, even if it's not Rick Carlisle. And but I I'm again, I'm sort of I want to put them above the Jazz because I would pick the Jazz, the Jazz to lose a playoff series against Luka. But I think the Jazz will have more regular season wins. So that's where I got to the original point of this whole question. And and it's the same thing with Denver, guys. Like, I could see Denver um, finishing with more wins. But when it would come down to it, who would I pick to win that series? Well, if Jamal Murray comes back healthy, give me Denver. If not, give me Dallas uh, and, and give me Luka there. So before and, – and this this is not to mention the Warriors, by the way, yet, or the Suns, who, who may be right there. So, Darius, take it away. No, no, no. So clarify for me. Is this one big tier? The last tier is six teams? I thought about separating Lakers and Suns because I do like the Suns more than the Warriors, Mavs, Jazz, Nuggets. If I see Clay a certain way, then I might bump the Warriors like right into that mix. But I, I don't know if the Lakers and Suns until they show it. Like, I guess I guess here, I guess you if you put me on the spot. Yes, I will slightly take Great. the Lakers and the Suns um, and I will and I'll put the Warriors, Mavs, Jazz and Nuggets. So let's exclude Lakers and Suns for now, and let's okay. talk about those four teams that are right there because I'm sort of there with that idea that the Lakers and Suns probably deserve the benefit of the doubt. The Suns were in last year's finals. The Lakers won the championship literally a calendar year ago. It was two seasons ago, but it was literally a calendar year ago. And it's a much different team, but we should give LeBron and AD a certain amount of like, y'all get if to hang healthy, out together. The, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Pete, I'm going to kick it to you then, right? So there's four teams here. Mavs, um, repeat them, Mike. Mavs, Nuggets, Warriors, Jazz. Utah, Nuggets, Utah. Yeah. Nuggets, Jazz, Mavs, Warriors. So where are you at with those four teams, Pete? Does any one of those rise above the rest of them to you? 
I want to focus on Dallas because I think they have the highest ceiling and the lowest floor. They're going through a similar style of play change as us. Not not in terms of they are changing to the similar style that we play, but going from Rick Carlisle's style of play to Jason Kidd's has uh, there's some changes that they're going through and. Kid in the past has been very aggressive, like with his pick and roll defense. There are some kind of minefields for them where it's like, are we playing Porzingis at the four and posting him up and trying to get him to trap on the perimeter, which is something that Jason Kidd likes to do? Like there's some places where if it doesn't go right, that maybe things don't go as well. But they have Luka Doncic and if they are able to instill a, a greater level of defensive culture around Luka Doncic so that they don't, you know, give up 12 points in a four minute span when he has to sit on the bench in a playoff series, then all of a sudden they might be in business. He's a scary dude. Quick note, quick note. Uh, Porzingis has looked good in preseason. I, I mentioned last year, there's no way we remember this, but Porzingis had knee surgery in the offseason and didn't play to start the season and just COVID. All that kind of stuff. He sure. just didn't look right the whole year. So uh, there, I was allowing for some for some upside there um, with that whole thing. For sure. One of my skepticisms about Porzingis kind of plays into Rudy Gobert, who's another guy in this tier, D. is, And they're the most uh, stable of the teams in this tier, I would say, especially with Murray out with the Nuggets. And even if Murray was playing, we might have him in that top three in a similar argument with the Warriors that they could very well be in that top tier if, if Clay comes back. So, but with respect to to Dallas, um, how that works out, how the Porzingis and Jason Kidd and Jason Kidd's style defensively with their personnel, to me, they have the wildest swing of any of the teams in that tier that don't have a major piece that are missing. So that's the team I would focus on. D, who would you, in in that tier, how would you view those teams? Let's keep on the Mavs for a second. There are people who favor... Luca to win the MVP. If Luca wins the MVP, then that means Dallas is either at the top of this tier or they're in the tier with the Lakers and the Suns. We have to allow for that. The thing that I'm interested, and I'm glad you brought up Porzingis within the context of Jason Kidd, I'm super interested to see what Jason Kidd learned from his time with the Lakers and whether or not he takes a approach to approach to Luca and KP in and view them through the same lens that LeBron and AD were viewed through, right? Because there is not a lot of shot creation on this team outside of Luca at all, right? And I'm wondering if he's going to look at KP and say, hmm, can we try to get some shot creation out of you? Not in the same way because Anthony Davis is a unicorn, literally, right? He is just that good. But can we go through you on offense in ways that supplement the playmaking so that some of the perimeter playmaking that we do not have is there by playing through Porzingis? And if that's the approach that they take, whether that engages Porzingis in a way that then dominoes for the rest of his game, like, hey, now I'm more engaged defensively, and now I'm protecting the rim, and now I'm sliding my feet a little bit more. And then now Dallas starts to look a little bit more interesting as a two-way team, because I like their role players, and I liked the Bullock signing. And I think that they're going to shoot well. I think Luca's going to get these guys shots. And so they're interesting to me. When I look at the tier, though, the Jazz are still lingering there for me, Mike. 
And they're an interesting team because I I agree with you. The way they're set up, they are set up to be a really strong regular season team again with playoff questions. And I'm wondering, how do you view their offseason moves in terms of like getting rid of favors and getting rid of um, Nyang? I think they got Rudy Gay. They got Eric Paschal. There's clearly a commitment to potent- to having more lineups where they could potentially play really small, right? Like Rudy Gay at the five. Eric Pasco at the five, right? Um, like, and, and see if that works for them in in a way. Do you think that raises their ceiling? Nope. The Jazz are interesting. They can potentially win sixty games again, but their over under is like at fifty two for for the season. So Vegas is clearly not buying them as much this year as like sort of like, hey, last year y'all were basically a 60 win team. Y'all won 52 games in a shortened season. Now you're over under is 52 games. Like Vegas is clearly not buying it. They're not drinking the jazz cooling. Well, I just because we've seen it, right? And this is the whole point about the offseason that you made, Darius, is that yes, they made a couple of tweaks to try and figure out, okay, can we play really small? But if they, they're actually worse when Rudy Gobert doesn't play. So it's not it doesn't fix it. It just completely removes the rim protection that everything else is based around. And other teams are like, great. You know, you want to you want to try to play small with us. You can't. So they've had to lean in, I think, to their best lineups, which is with Gobert on the floor. But it's not just that. It's that they're small on the perimeter. It's it's the Conley and Mitchell combo. um, And it's that their wings are not particularly athletic. Um, in Bogdanovich and Ingles and you know there's a there's Royce O'Neal is a nice player but he's one of those guys where you don't have to take him off the floor and he's going to help you some on defense but he's definitely not giving you a lot other than the occasional open three on offense so I just I just think though I almost feel badly because the expectation that has been there for Utah has been unfair and the expectation that they are like a real title contender um, you know barring the season in which everybody gets hurt which was last season and they still didn't win when they were healthy, saving for Conley's hamstring. Darius, I know you want to jump back in before no, I get no, to it. No, because I want to kick this to Pete. Pete, you're really high on Donovan Mitchell. I love me some Donovan Mitchell, yes. Where do you see his progression, and can he lift this team up a level? Like, is he that good of a player? Because I think for the Jazz to make a step, a lot of it's going to depend on how good is Donovan Mitchell, and can he jump into that two-way player fray that Mike has so often talked about as being the true sort of difference maker type player in the league? Because if Mitchell has that level available to him and he accesses that, does that change the Jazz's outlook to you? So I'm very high on Donovan Mitchell, and I think that he can be the best offensive player or close to it on a, on a contender. And similar to Devin Booker, Last year. Now, I think that comparing the Suns and the Jazz are important there in that we saw DeAndre Ayton's versatility that he may not be over the course of the regular season, certainly didn't have coming into the playoffs the stature of a Rudy Gobert, but his ability to not be let, let's take it away from the played off the floor idea. Yeah. But if you put Rudy Gobert into rotation. He's actually pretty good at closing out. He's he's okay at sliding his feet, especially for a guy his size, which was my point on Porzingis, by the way. I didn't I didn't make that that those seven two, seven three guys have a hard time just moving fast enough in the playoffs defensively. Anyway, you can limit Rudy Gobert. It's not you can make Rudy Gobert that's not the defensive the best defensive player in the world anymore 
by the terms that we dictate, Mike. And that's something where I see Donovan as being able to be that dude in the playoffs. We've seen him do it, man. We've seen him carry offenses and hit those crazy playoff shots. And I expect him to continue to do that. I I think he's got a certain level of defensive potential, but he's not going to be a two-way guy from a, he's going to give you five minutes of lockdown defense on the best guy at the end of a close playoff game. But I don't think that you necessarily, I mean, you can't be in the top tier, but you can still be a very, very good player. I just don't think Utah has enough the the right pieces around him for that to work. Yeah, and that's and that's it right there, though, right? So Gobert, and Pete, the other thing, that, and you've mentioned this before, he's not going to hurt you that much with his offense. He's going to hurt you in the screen roll game, but you can adjust to that in a playoff series. Uh, Mitchell is not going to hurt you with his defense in terms of like taking a guy out. Uh, like even LeBron can one on one. Like it happened. The, Harrison Barnes, for whatever reason, faced up LeBron to start the third quarter and tried like three moves. And LeBron just LeBron just faced him up three times in a row, and he had to kick the ball to the top of the key. Westbrook got a steal. Like that's the kind of stuff that you need in those playoff moments. And so it always it sounds like I've been I've been so harsh on Utah. I haven't. I just I think we've we know this to be true. We know what these players are. And the ceiling doesn't exist to the same degree it does for Denver, um, for Golden State, for me, and for Dallas because of their their players at the absolute top can take you over the, the hump. And I just, Darius, I don't think Utah can quite get over that hump. So they're in this tier out of respect of all the wins they get in the regular season, but they're they're on the lower end of it for me than the teams that have the upside. Just for me to put it in very simple terms is – if I have an opinion of a team and then you tell me, oh, they signed Rudy Gay, my opinion of the team is not going to change. You know what I mean? Like they're fundamentally still the same team. So for me, I'm I'm in a place where I'm with I think it's a combination of what you said, Pete, about and and what Mike said about limiting Gobert's um, effectiveness defensively in the playoffs and the fact that they have not schemed enough to get him the types of plays offensively that like Aiden was getting where he was like just brutalizing guys like on the backboards and all of this other stuff in order to score. So before we get to Golden State, is Utah at the bottom of this tier for both of you guys? Are they below the Nuggets? It, this is it just gets back to the whole like they're in the same tier where they rank to me doesn't matter. It's more like okay. upside. De- Denver's got the upside. Utah will win more regular season games because they're gotcha. Utah. You know, so like if if but I think I think we would all take Denver in a playoff series, assuming Murray yeah. comes back. So yeah, so yeah. there you go. But but like in the tier, right? It just depends that way. So let's talk Warriors then really quickly yeah. before we get to the Suns and and uh, the Lakers. The Warriors to me have the most upside variance. I think their floor is actually higher. Um, and getting a good look at Jordan Poole this preseason gave me a little bit better of an idea about what they could be offensively on their second units, which is more dynamic. And Steph looks amazing. Like Steph and Draymond look like they have basically carried over from where they were last season to to this season. And then if Poole has made another leap. Dude, Poole looks really good. Really and good. then if you're going to get Clay back, this is a super interesting team. And honestly, we haven't really seen Moody at all. Kaminga's been hurt. Wiseman's been hurt. There is an injection of youth and also youthful mistakes 
right? That could hurt this team in in a certain way. But there's an injection of youth that I think can also help lift this team over the course of, of an 82-game season. I am super intrigued by what the Warriors can be, but I am still not sure of what they will be. Where are you guys at with them? I think their size is a bit of a fatal flaw. Draymond's the only big, quote unquote, and Draymond is only a big because he's a genius and has enough size and enough strength. But so much of that is done with his with his intellect and understanding of the game. But there's no other big on that team that I'm I can trust. And I think that there's a certain level of floor where and it may not look like this on opening night. They may very well kick our ass the way that they did in two preseason games. But I think over the course of a seven game series, we saw kind of this dynamic in the finals between Milwaukee and Phoenix, where the size advantage is such a high floor for a team where you're just bigger than them on Every play where jump shooting can more come and go, even if you're really good, even if Jordan Poole breaks out and you have Klay Thompson and you have Steph Curry doing amazing Steph Curry things. I find them to be really dangerous, Mike, but I think that now they have pieces, they have young guys. If they want to get a more reliable big, maybe that there's a move down the line. But for me, the thing that keeps... That, that even while accounting for their championship pedigree and yeah. their wonderful talent, their shooting, that's just the thing that keeps me from get, going all the way there with them. Yeah, so I I think that they and well, the, Phoenix is the only team we haven't talked about, right? So we'll get them next. But the Lakers and the Warriors, to me, are the two most interesting because I, I really think that we have a handle on what the rest of these teams are going to be. We've seen those players. We've seen the personnel. None of them made the major offseason move. Like Pete just cited, Rudy Gay is not a major offseason move. The Lakers made a major offseason move, getting Russell Westbrook, and the Warriors are essentially having a major off uh, offseason move by getting Klay Thompson back. Plus, how are they going to work in? Like you mentioned, the size, Pete. All right, so Looney, this is definitely where I would struggle to pick the Warriors to beat the Lakers four times because it's it's a similar way of Steph's going to get you once or twice on his own, but they can't keep the Lakers off out of, away from the rim. They just can't do it. If they want to try to play Wiseman, that doesn't actually even really help keep the Lakers away from the rim because then LeBron is just kind of, you know, he's picking out where he's going to pull Wiseman out. It, it's, it's just easy for him yep, at yep. that point. So which means Draymond has to basically play the five. And can he hold up there uh, in, a, in a series? It's just really hard to see that happening to that extent. But regular season wise, I, I really love how Jordan Poole um, has been playing. And I know that he's been kind of the sexy pick for those the people that watch a lot of preseason basketball. But when Clay gets back, that's three guys who can legitimately bomb from a few feet beyond the three-point line and are not shy about it at all. It just It's just hard to play those teams. This team is going to shoot a ton of threes, Dude, Mike. They're going to shoot a, a ton, ton of threes. Of threes. Like, Bialica is going to shoot a ton of threes. Otto Porter is going to shoot a ton of threes. Steph may shoot 13 threes a game, Mike. Yeah, yeah. In the, in the teams that – so the Lakers, though – if we remember the Lakers of the past, and this is where I have to square what they are now, <laughs> that's like that's what I know we all need to see some more data on this. But yeah, those are the teams that they would have success. Like Portland was like that to an extent. The Lakers, Frank Vogel's really good on those teams because you overplay the three-point line. You got the rim protected anyway. What are you guys going to do? What are you going to do? Steph can score in the mid-range. Great. But okay, you get your 35. Crap. Shit, get your 40. But that's not sustainable against this large and this physical of a team. So uh, I, I we should interject the Suns into this as well, but I still think that that, Pete, even with the, the downside of kind of the bigs, and 
I still think that that ceiling of that way that they can play is right there um, with Dallas and Denver. And we need a whole nother podcast, I think, to really cipher where those teams get at. Yes. And, and we'll get that data once once Clay gets back, especially. And I think that if we're talking about this from the view of what they'll be at, what they'll be like toward the end of the season, I'm really struck by how many of these teams are like how much injuries still loom large over this season because I don't necessarily expect any one of Clay Thompson, Jamal Murray, or Kawhi Leonard to be in their best form by the time the playoffs come around, Darius. But I think there's a good chance that one of them are, and that totally changes the projections of any of these teams. I think Clay is the guy that we're most optimistic will be back and a part of what the Golden State Warriors will do more so than Kawhi or Murray, but it just sends everything in such flux as like their status is going to change a lot. Yeah. And I mean, Clay is set to come back so much earlier than those other guys. And so it's easier to sort of bake in what his production is. He's also missed way more time than them though. And, and so it's like squaring all, all of that and making a good determination is, I don't know. It's probably foolhardy. Like before we actually see any of them play um, the point, the last point I was going to make about this tier, especially is again, look at the best players. Right. And so you've got Jokic on Denver. You've got, um, you've got, I guess, Mitchell for the Jazz, right? With Gobert probably right below him. And, and some people would probably would maybe argue, argue that Gobert is better than than Mitchell, right? But what, whatever. You've got Luka with Dallas, and then you've got Steph. And there's, I, I don't know how you choose between any of those those guys, but those are like Steph to me, especially he is, he is one of those basketball gods. He is one of those dudes that the game really does revolve around him in every single way, whenever he's on the floor. And, and, and he's the guy that changes the geometry of, of the game in his team's favor every single night. And that is a super powerful weapon to be able to deploy every night in terms of what the ceiling and the floor at the same time of, of your team is. And it's one of the reasons why, like I may live in the Bay area, but even if I didn't like, I can't quit golden state, like for that specific reason, it's, yeah. it's like, it's, 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 it's not the same, but it's just like, it's like having a prime shack type of dude, like on your team. It's just like, this dude just changes it for you and makes every other team react in a way that is like hard to value to place a numerical value on, but you see it on the court with how the other team reacts. So Pete, let me introduce Phoenix here as we wrap up. And I think that's really good context that Darius was just giving about staff and the warriors. As we talk about the Suns. because if I, I hate to do the hypothetical things, but if AD stays healthy, right. And Phoenix loses in the first round, how are we viewing them versus getting them getting to then see them win two more series, albeit against banged up teams? And it, it, so it is a little bit hard, but then you see him in the preseason and you see that most of us are going to throw out a lot of preseason stuff. But Chris Paul and to an extent, Monty Williams, they've got that team really plugged in to how they should play. Pete, you talk a lot about style. Like they really know what they're doing. They they have a plan. They have a purpose. They've got athletes. They're really big on the wing, which I don't know if you guys have heard. Um, I think it's a big deal in the NBA. And I like I like campaign coming off to run things when Chris isn't out there. He's kind of nasty. Like they're 
I don't know that I would pick them to beat a healthy Warriors team, a healthy Denver series, a healthy uh, or a healthy um, Dallas because of the superstar that maybe does make that final difference. But I, I have I feel like I need to give them that amount of respect uh, based on what they've accomplished and really a lot based on Chris Paul and how great he is at raising a floor of a team that's got a lot of talent. And, and that's where I'm at with them, why I had them a little bit above, but it, it's it's tough. No, I'm with you. I used to always say about the San Antonio Spurs teams with Duncan that they were always going to play at an eight or eight and a half level out of 10. And some seasons that was good enough to win a championship because the other teams would would fluctuate a lot more than they did. Or and then other seasons, it was, oh, they got beat by Shaq and Kobe. The other team was more talented. They get to the nine, nine and a half, ten quality basketball that San Antonio could never reach. Phoenix reminds me a lot of that. They're really good at what they do. They're the best version of themselves with their personnel. They bring that out on a more frequent basis. And so that's going to win them a lot of playoff games. I do wonder to what degree they are impacted by a bubble tax. It's not as severe the quick turnaround as last year, but it is a quick turnaround for them. They're a bit younger uh, in key positions. So I'm curious if, you know, how that impacts them, but something to keep an eye on. But Darius, they're a team that I think really we're probably being optimistic as of now, putting the Lakers in the same tier as the Suns. I think we will get there and I think that we are capable of surpassing, but the Suns are going to play a certain caliber of play that may very well be good enough to get them to the finals again. The Suns are really good. Your comp to the Spurs is super good. Um, I would say that they're like an idealized and more complete version of what the jazz team was last season. Agreed. Right. Um, on a night to night basis, like they're jazz with real playoff energy, like with less playoff holes, I would say. And that makes them super formidable as an opponent. And as a Western conference challenger, it would not surprise me if they made another deep playoff run and they were in the Western conference finals again, it just shouldn't. The interesting questions for the Suns to me are more off-season questions about where the team is going, if the owner is going to pay deep into the luxury tax. Those are real questions to me. And if that actually impacts what happens during the regular season, which is a possibility. It could, certainly could. Then the Suns could be out of this tier entirely. Just a quick, a tiny nugget on that. Did I? So DeAndre Ayton in the preseason all of a sudden is going back to what DeAndre Ayton was doing early last season when he was struggling and Chris Paul was getting pissed, which is just shooting all the time. Uh, 17 footer, pull up, boom, released three pointer transition, pull it. Like he's, he was so disciplined in the playoffs and he was great. He was just, it was like Dwight Howard at his peak, just rim run or screen, roll to the rim, finish everything, get back and play defense. And especially now with the whole thing with the max, DeAndre might want a little more on the court he might want to just play the way he wants to play so that's just a little slow thing to mention there <laughs> i think the deadline by the time that this post the deadline may have already passed for players who are in deandre ayton's draft class they're extension eligible if their extensions don't come by the deadline then look chris paul's leadership is apparently like world's strongest man level but it will be tested if those dudes don't get their money, Chris Paul leadership also can wear on you. Sure. Over, over, yeah. yeah. So the first year mm-hmm. is usually pretty good, but mm-hmm. it can like it can get to you. And that's that that is part of it. You're right. That's, it's fair to introduce that. Hey, you know, we always end these pods with like, you know, propaganda sabotage campaigns. We got to start the pay DeAndre Ayton his money campaign. Got to really foment, you know, the uh, the problems in Phoenix there. Look. <laughs> 
Aiden wants his max. So I have the Suns here in like at this level because I think that they're that good. And I think that all of these guys have their headed in the right place and they got a taste of the thing that is right there for them. But I'll be very interested to see what happens. I remember when OKC lost to the Heat in the finals and there was that picture of KD and Harden and Russ all sort of like arms over each other and sort of looking at what happened. And it seemed like the future was so bright for them. And then I remember Dwight Howard with the magic sort of coming out and watching the Lakers celebrate and get their trope, their championship trophy in Orlando in the 2009 finals. And him sort of speaking after the fact about like, that's where we want to go. Like I'm using that. Yeah. You know what happened to those teams? They never got back. And they ended up breaking up within a couple of years. And so the NBA is a fickle, fickle place. And life comes at you fast. But it's a real thing. And so holding on to that cohesion and holding on to that collective hunger. Like, if there's a team that could do it, it's probably a Chris Paul-led team. And so, again, Chris Paul's leadership, like, it's, we were joking, but it is a real thing. Like, he can galvanize a group. But it could be tested if things go a certain direction with this Suns team. And so I'm, it's not enough of a question for me to drop them out of this level, but it is something to watch for with them. There's, it's a crazy how much uncertainty there is all over the Western Conference uh, from top to bottom. It was fun to do this preview with you guys. Um, we got opening night tonight. Uh, we'll be here to cover how the game goes with the Lakers and Warriors. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Here by McLaughlin. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Shot with his eighth block. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, two one. Missing. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.